Hey, it's great to have you. We had so many good things happen, and we got a little late start here, so I need about an extra five minutes. Who'll give me an extra five minutes today? Five, 10, 15, 20. That's all I need right there. Appreciate that very, very much. Just teasing. Hey, we've been in a series called Call to Fall, the word fall implying fall on your knees in prayer. My intent's very simple, is to hopefully help you have a better prayer life, to hope you, help you make your prayer life more meaningful to help you not just get things from God, but to make connection to God. I mean, no, prayer is not just telling God things that he already knows, begging him to do it, but prayer is a relational vehicle. It's an opportunity for us to join in with God. If I could give you an illustration of the place of prayer, uh, if you've ever gotten your your car or truck stuck, uh, when I was a kid, I lived on a farm. We'd often get the work truck stuck going to a field, and it had the fuel and the grease and everything, so we had to get it out. So we would, the truck is in the mud, we've got a big tractor there, and we've got a chain. And if you can imagine hooking it to the truck and hooking it to the tractor, but how many know it was two pieces of chain, and you could take all day long, and that tractor could pull, and that truck would still be in the mud. But if you put a link in the middle of that chain, or in our days, we might tie it together, but imagine a link in that chain, it brings strength, and it connects the need of the truck to the power of the tractor, and it pulls it out every time. That's exactly what God has made prayer to be. It is necessary and essential to establish His kingdom on the earth. Now, if I, I could regress just a moment, uh, the most probably important message in the series was on the Lord's Prayer. It was a couple of weeks ago, and the Lord's Prayer was not just something that you repeat by memory, but the Lord's Prayer as a pattern to pray every day. Uh, I'm 61. I've been a Christian over 40 years, and something I've found is if I don't have a pattern in my prayer, if I don't have some structure... All I'm going to do is walk around tell, telling God whatever I'm thinking about or whatever I'm feeling. And usually I'm done in two or three minutes. But it needs to be more than that. And the Lord's Prayer is a model. And, and again, I've got handouts in the lobby if you didn't get one that will help you establish this. It's got structure and spontaneity. But if you could imagine the first step is your approach to God. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's with worship and submission. The top step was let you... Uh, uh, may, uh, yeah, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's your faith. It's your praise. But it's these four steps are petitions. It's very significant, the order of those petitions. The first one was, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. The second one is, give me daily bread. Lord, I, I need food to eat. I, I got a car payment. We want money for vacation, whatever. I need strength. I need health. Forgive me for my sins. I'll forgive others. Keep me from temptation. Keep me from the evil one. Now, we're going to come back to these two because oftentimes I confuse in my life. I want my daily bread before I want his kingdom, and that'll be very significant. Last week, we talked about answered prayer. And rather than trying to portray a formula, we looked at a puzzle, and we looked at different pieces that would cause our prayers to be answered. And we left one piece out in the corner there, of course, was because prayer is not just a way to get what we want. Ultimately, God is sovereign, not me. I can be doing things right, and a prayer may not be answered in the time that I ask for. But how I many know some would say all prayers are answered? <laughs> some are just answered no, or some are answered wait. So we left this giving God the right to determine how and when He'll answer. But today is going to be the flip side. We're going to talk about unanswered prayer. And if I could just a second show you a quick video that taps into emotion behind this as well as anything I've ever seen. Listen to the story of a young man that prayed and he lost his dad to cancer.
So when my dad was diagnosed um, with cancer, I felt fear. I didn't know what was going to happen. I tried to turn to God. I would go through the prayer and the, you know, asking God, but there's been no improvement. I felt that it was dumb. It was stupid because prayer was supposed to be the one way that you could personally talk to God. And so I had done that for months and nothing ever happened. He had never answered my prayers. He had never answered any of our prayers. Out of all these people that prayed, um, not one of them would convince God to make my dad better. Why isn't my dad getting better? Why is he letting my dad suffer like this? When my dad passed away, I felt very angry. I felt very resentful at God because all this prayer and stuff, it had done nothing to help my dad at all. Why does it matter if I'm a Christian or not if the same thing is going to happen? I became very apathetic towards the entire idea of growing a relationship with Christ and being a Christian. After my dad passed away, we would still go to church. In some ways, God was trying to reach out to me because there was a person who went to that church and almost every week she would go up to me and she'd be like, hi, how are you? And she would talk to me. She'd be like, hey, you showed you through. And so every time I would shrug her off because, you know, youth group, that's dumb. I don't need to do that. I don't want to be doing Christian things when I felt no purpose to them. But eventually I went to youth group and then my mom asked me if I wanted to go to winter retreat. When I went to a winter retreat, the speaker had been talking about giving up the one thing that you hold on to. I could really feel God knocking on my heart. He was saying, you know, you need to let go of this. And for the first time I felt this I felt this kind of presence, this kind of warmth. I think I decided that I was going to give up a lot of the resentment and anger that I had held. And for the first time, I kind of sat down and I prayed. That for the first time, there was something personal there. It wasn't just me talking to the open sky. I, I couldn't feel him talking back per se, but I could, I felt that he was listening, that he was, he knew I was talking to him. Well, not a video you clap to because it touches the deepest recesses of us as a Christian, good God, powerful God, loving God, bad things happen, I pray, and they didn't change. It's a struggle for all of us, but you saw the journey of a young man that first drew away from God, but then found there was nothing else but God and found relationship with Him. We're going to talk a little bit about this today. I, it seems sometimes like God is silent and doesn't care, but yet God does care. In spite of all the evil in the world, God is still a good God. And I want to try to make a little sense out of this today. Back to my puzzle, rather than trying to find pieces that, that, that increase the odds of an answered prayer, I'm going to show you some things that will cause unanswered prayers. The first two you really can't control much. The first one is it could be spiritual warfare. We're going to see that there's a demonic presence that wants to stop your prayers from being answered. We're going to see another one. God has timing in prayer. I want them right now, but God is sometimes in the wait mode. We'll talk about that. The next two things I can control, I can do, can do something about. The first one is the fact that maybe I'm, I'm asking for some very selfish reasons. We'll talk about selfishness, and it gets worse. We'll talk about even living in defiance and rebellion against God, but then getting in trouble and wondering why God doesn't answer my prayer. The last one I think is going to stir you in a special way. Because this last one has to do with God says no because he has a better way. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm glad God has not answered every prayer I've ever prayed in life. 
Uh, every prayer I prayed certainly made a lot of sense to me at the time I was praying. It was what I wanted. But God has the capacity to see down the road some and some things we can't. So I don't suggest that this is a complete analysis of the subject, but I think this will give you some windows and some under, uh, understanding as we talk about unanswered prayer. Uh, let's talk about the first one, Daniel chapter 10. Some prayers aren't answered because spiritual warfare is happening. Let's explore this together. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was a, a prophet. He was a Jewish man, but he was also a seer, a prophet, and he had visions about the future. And God gave him a vision, verse 1. He understood that this vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. It could have been for the nation of Israel, or it could have been for even the book of Revelation. Daniel and Revelation tie together like that. Daniel wrote 700 years before John the Revelator. But anyway, he has this vision, and the next verses say he didn't understand it, so he sought God for three weeks. He prayed, he fasted, he denied himself, he pressed into the Lord. And lo and behold, after three weeks, verse 5, he has another vision. He said he looks up and he saw a man dressed in linen clothing. This was actually an angel. This angel had a belt of pure gold around his waist. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches, clearly supernatural. Verse 11, this angelic being said to Daniel, now notice verse 12, since the first day you began to pray, your request has been heard in heaven. The first day you started praying, God was listening. God is not like one of these, you know, uh, big corporate phone systems you get into. I, I had a dishwasher that's out. It's been out for three weeks now. And I had one of those home repair plans, you know, where they're supposed to come out and fix it. And uh, I'm still waiting three weeks. Uh, every time I get on the phone with them, it's 30 to 40 minutes talking to somebody that doesn't know what's going on. And you get frustrated. You have to hold on to your sanctification. How many understand exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, how to get off on that? God is not like that. God doesn't have angels that are putting you on hold. God has the capacity to hear all of us at one time praying and decipher it all. But notice what it says. Since the first day you began to pray, your request was heard. And now this angel has said, I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Now, what does that mean? That means there was a demonic prince or a demonic principality over the region of Persia which would suggest to us there's demonic spirits over Texarkana. There's demonic spirits over America. There's demonic spirits over nations of the world. And you'll see Haiti, for example, their religion is voodoo, that's godless. The nation was dedicated to, the, to voodoo and to, to false gods. You can see what's happened. America was blessed materially, and now it's got, uh, demons that are perhaps pushing materialism. And, and, and rather than using what you have to bless others, it's, 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 it's hedonism, it's selfishness. There's demonic activity at work. 21 days, the spirit prince of, King, of, of Persia blocked my way. And then he would go on to say that uh, the archangel David, uh, uh, Michael, came to help him. So here's the deal. He prayed three weeks and nothing happened. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want it to happen and happen quick. But Daniel kept praying. Now, secular people, secularists, if you've ever heard of a Carl Sagan, he's a brilliant man. Uh, he is, uh, he's served on committees about nuclear preparation in America. He's a professor. He wrote a book called The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. 
Uh, this was handed out, by the way, to tech students at Texas A&M and Texarkana a couple years ago. It was in their welcome packet. But the whole book basically is to extol the virtue of science and reason and a, based on a belief that there is no God and nothing supernatural. To Carl Sagan and many like him, there are no angels or demons. And any time the discussion is there, they're in the same context as UFOs and space aliens. Now, he does a pretty good job with UFOs and space aliens, but when he lumped Jesus right in there, come on now, Jesus and the Easter Bunny and space aliens, you, 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 got, a, you got a little problem in, in, in my world. But that's the world we live in. In their worldview, there's nothing beyond what science and reason can explain. And I suggest to you as a Christian, you can be a person of faith, yet a person who believes in accurate science and a person who believes in reason. The Christian faith is not an, a, a leap in the dark. The Christian faith is a reasonable, rational worldview that answers all of the questions of life in ways that other worldviews do not. But the Christian, the, the Christian message, obviously rejected by many. The Bible teaches there is an unseen spiritual world in which demons hinder prayers from being answered. Ephesians 6.12 says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? The problems in America today are not because of Republicans or Democrats. It's not because of Justice Ginsburg. Uh, the problems of racial hostility in America today are not just because of white people or black people or Hispanic or Oriental, but there are spirits that are behind the racism, the hatred, the violence that's at work. And then he lists this specifically. I want you to listen to five different descriptions or categories of these evil spirits. Our struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm sorry, it was four. Rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil. In other words, the Bible is saying that sometimes your prayer is not answered because you're praying for something that a demon is resisting. I mean, no, Satan wants to keep evil in place. You know, it, it, it could be economic oppression, whatever the case is, any way he can steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're praying against that demon, you got to keep praying and you got to pray through. Come on, just like Daniel prayed through for 21 days. And sometimes our prayers aren't answered because these forces are, are, are against us. And the key when this is happening, listen, friends, it is persistence. If you want a puzzle piece in response to that, we keep on praying. We don't stop until either the answer comes or the circumstances change. Persistence is a key for answered prayer when Satan is at work. Punch your neighbor and say, that's pretty good. Okay, here we go. The second reason prayers aren't answered, some prayers are not answered because of God's timing. Now, this is a big one. Luke 1 verse 5, one of my favorite passages because it is so pregnant with application for us. Luke 1, 5, there's a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments. Now, how many know it's fairly easy to be righteous and blameless when everything's great in your life? You got money, you got health, you know. Yeah, I mean, you get a new car whenever you want one pretty much, or, or, I mean, life is going pretty good. You really don't need God then. You do. But many people in the world are blinded by their blessing. But these people didn't have all that. They had one desire that they had wanted in their life more than anything else. They wanted a baby. And ever since, we don't know how old they were when they were married and how old they were now, but we know they're old now. So let's assume they waited 40 to 45 years for a baby. 
And all of a sudden, she stops having her period, and she can no longer have a child. So she's lived her whole life holding somebody else's baby, going in a closet to cry, and weeping and asking God why, but yet still choosing to live a righteous and blameless life. Some of us have endured things that have nothing to do with us of what we've done wrong. But the question is, how will I respond when this happens? But look at verse 8, the incredible thing. It's like God has heard their prayer and a clock has been ticking. And it's gone to 1 o'clock, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. It's over 30 years now. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And now it's 11.59. And look at verse 8. One day. Everybody say one day. One day, day Zechariah is serving God in the temple. He's chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary to burn incense. Incense was, was a picture of the prayers of the people of God going to heaven. One commentator said there were 18,000 priests in the course of his lifetime serving in the temple. He only got to burn incense one time in his whole life as a priest. So he goes in there, and on that one day, the angel said to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. Your wife will give you a son. You'll name him John, John the Baptist. He'll bring you joy and gladness. This is what they wanted. But now they're going to get more than they wanted. Verse 15, John will be a great man for the Lord. He'll help many people of Israel return to the Lord their God. So what they got in their answered prayer when it was finally answered, they got, listen, not only a child to enjoy, but they got to be a part of their son was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest people ever born on the face of the earth. Now, we don't understand. In, our day, in their day, all they knew was to be, not have a child or a baby was a reproach. You could find scriptures in the Old Testament that talked about babies being a sign of God's blessing, and now they're wondering if God was even punishing them. When we look at the story, we totally understand the 40 years of waiting was because God had a purpose and a time. It's like, remember this, what was the second step? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Give me daily bread. For 40 years they prayed, Lord, give us a baby. And I would imagine there was many years when they went right to this step. We want a baby, and they bypassed step number two. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. But yet as we're submitted to the will of God, on this step lies 40 years of waiting because God's chosen when the Messiah is going to be born. Are you with me today? And that's why this step is so important before this one. This is the maturity step where we're not just living for our own desires and what God would give us and God's there to make my life better. Though all that's true, it's secondary to let your kingdom come, let your will be done. I'm preaching better than you're amening now. So once again, we see another scripture that talks about, I need a child to help me here. This is another scripture that we need persistence when we don't understand what's going on and why the delay is happening. Persistence is our goal. We will pray until uh, either the answer comes or circumstances change because delay is not denial. Now let me look at two, the next two. These two, the first two were things outside of us. Demonic interference, God's timing. But the next two have to do with the life that I'm living. Uh, both of these are correctable, but both will cause unanswered prayer. Some prayers are not answered because we're self-centered. Now, this is a big one. James chapter 4, verse 1, the question is, what causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from selfish desires battling within you. He's talking about battling with other Christians. You desire, but you don't have, so you 
kill. Or so you sue, or so you put bad things on Facebook, or so you hire a big guy to go and knock them over the head, but you do something carnal to get what you want. They have a, a cabin on the lake that you have lusted after your whole life. They have a successful business that you're going to call the EEOC on. Are you with me today? You're going to do something to undermine them. You covet, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. But then he shifts and says, you don't have because you don't ask God. But now notice verse 3. When you ask God, you don't receive. In other words, your prayers are not answered. Because you ask with wrong motives so you can spend what you get on your own pleasures. Another translation says, all you want to do with what you get is spend it or squander it on yourself. And this is where the problem is. We're asking for the wrong things, for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives and selfish reasons, but we're still in church. We totally skip, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We go directly to number three, give me this day daily bread. But the problem is, because we don't have a kingdom orientation, we're more carnal than we are spiritual. This is why it's so important in your prayer life not to start with yourself. But we start honoring and praising God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy and worshiped with reverence. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And this changes our heart from the immature to the mature. So then when we pray, forgive us this day daily bread, our carnality is somewhat protected. You see, we can be driven by carnality in this step three. And it's all around us. And my problem is I don't know where it is in me. I know where it is in you. This word pleasures or passion is the word hedonism, a Greek word from which we get our English word hedonism. It's simply a philosophy that makes pleasure our main goal in life instead of the kingdom of God. I saw this little Dixie cup today, and it has a philosophy of life even on a Dixie cup. You know what it says? Do more of what makes you happy. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. They preach it, pastor. Do more of what makes you happy. Now listen, I'm all for being happy. I'd much rather smile than frown or whatever. But you know where this is found? It's found on a carnal step three. And it makes us believe that I, uh, my whole life is about God making me happy. And all of life is about more ducks and more turkeys and nicer cars and, and all those things. Now, now, now here's the great struggle that I have in my life. Scripture says, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and enjoy it more abundantly overcoming life. But he also said, sometimes you'll sacrifice, sometimes you'll suffer. If you want to be my follower, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So a God who says, I want to give you a good life is the same God that says, sometimes it'll be difficult. Here's what I know. God promises to give me daily bread. If I'll seek first the kingdom of God, my necessities are added to me. First Timothy 6 takes guilt off of me and said, when God gives you things, it's all right to enjoy them. But the danger of that same chapter is, is the love of money is the root of all evil. And it causes some to wander from the faith. And something can happen when I'm enjoying the blessings of God. The blessings of God that were there for good things for me to enjoy can actually become things that drive me from God. Before I know it, I've got a boat, I've got a lake house, I've got something else. I've got a motorcycle to get there or whatever it is. And before I know it, I can't even come to church on the weekends because I've got to work 40 or 50 hours. And the only time I can have fun, come on now. Because and nothing wrong with boats, nothing wrong with lake houses. 
I'm just telling you, we can shift into this place where the pursuit of pleasure, step three, carnality, and we lose the good part of God's provision and the Father that wants to bless us because we don't enter life through the door of his kingdom coming first. And that was a good point right there now. You didn't say amen very much, but that was a good one. Let me give you another one. And this is for the people that are we're in the first service today, so this does not apply to you. But it is another one that can be changed. You say, well, pastor, how can I deal with that one? Here, here, here's something that will change that last step is a, a, a repentance, turning and changing. If I repent, if, 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 I, if God has shown me that I'm a bit selfish in what I do and carnality and I tend to ask for me first, if I repent and produce, become a kingdom-minded person, you'll take care of that issue. Here's another one that gets in the way sometimes. Uh, some, prayers, uh, some prayers are not answered because... We're living a rebellious life. We're living in defiance against God. We go our own way. We do our own thing. And when we get in trouble, we say, Jesus, please help me. Stay with me on this one. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. God is speaking here in the first person. I called, but you... God is speaking to people, speaking to you, speaking to me. He's calling through the scripture. He's calling through someone teaching the Bible. He's calling through the Holy Spirit. He's calling through our conscience. I called, but you refused to listen to me. I held out my hand for direction, but you paid no attention. Verse 25, you did not follow my advice. You did not listen when I corrected you. And God says this in verse 26, I will laugh when you're in trouble. When disaster comes over you like a storm and trouble strikes you like a whirlwind, here's the prayer now, verse 28. Then you will call to me, but I will not answer. Then you'll pray, and I won't answer. You'll look for me, but you'll not find me. You'll say, well, I thought he was a loving God. He is. But he's not like a prostitute that we just go to when we want something. He's the God that we start out with, called the fall, my Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Treated with reverence and honor and dignity and respect. He's not just a God that I can live any way that I want. Why should God listen to me if I don't listen to him? I'm going to keep moving before I get in trouble. That's the first service, folks. James 5.16 See, that's people living in a rebellious life. Whereas last week we learned the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, listen, we can correct this. And I find myself time, sometimes with carnality in my own life. And when I find myself living that way in defiance against God, I want to quickly repent. I want to quickly turn to the ways of the Bible. I want to quickly turn to yes, Lord. I don't want to, to, to acknowledge God just by showing up sometimes to a church service or, or reading the Bible sometimes or, or praying when I'm in trouble and my prayer is pretty much, you know, help me, God. I want to walk with him every day of my life. Praise the Lord. Okay, last one. And, and, and this last one really, you know, I've left a blank up here. I'm going to put the word trust in right there, but it ties into the blank because I, I, I don't want to present this as a formula that if you'll simply do A, B, C, D, and E, F, G, God will answer every prayer you pray. There needs to be some, or there is in the Bible, some mystery about prayer. This has to do with the sovereignty of God. 
It is not my ability to manipulate him by my actions or behavior to force him to act, but it leaves it ultimately in the hand of the Lord. Now, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, some prayers are not answered because God has a better way. I shared uh, last week, I guess it was, about uh, 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 I wanted to marry this gal when I was 21, and uh, she was the wrong person. And God didn't answer that prayer because I was praying for her, and it didn't work out. I had no clue that Linnell Miller even was alive, and that she, as a pastor's wife, or a prophetic girl, would be a better wife for what I was called to do than a dental technician. I'm not knocking dental technicians now. I'd have had better teeth, I can assure you of that. But... <laughs> We complimented each other, in a way, the woman that I married. God didn't answer that prayer. Let, let's look at a biblical character. One of the greatest men in the Bible, Paul the Apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's responsible for Christianity coming to the non-Jewish world. And listen to what he says. He says, chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man in Christ who for 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, to paradise. What does that mean? It's as if there is a realm where God lives in a place the Hubble telescope can never find. When they invent Hubble times 10, they'll not find an island called heaven. I will suggest to you that heaven could well be in another dimension. This which we see is like a zipper. If you were to unzip a zipper into the seen world, you'd see that there were angels and demons at work. Heaven is in this realm. And the Bible, Paul said, I know a man who is caught up to the third heaven. And he didn't even mention his name. Today, successful, I use the word successful, uh, Christian ministers who God seems to use in great, great ways. Their own charisma, their own TBN, their calendars are full. And I'm not knocking what they do, but I'm just saying, when Paul talked about this great spirituality, he wouldn't even use his name. Now, I want you to think about these two key words, pride and humility. He said he heard things no one is permitted to tell, yet he wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. Verse 5, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. I will not call attention to my accomplishments. I will not call atten attention to what I know or what I've experienced in God, except for my weaknesses. Why? So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. In other words, the power of God is best displayed against human weakness, so God alone is praised. Verse 7, he talked about these surpassing great revelations, but he said this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited or proud, because I mean no pride goes before fall, the Bible says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. So Satan, who desires to steal, kill, and destroy, was allowed to afflict Paul with some type of something. Commentators disagree on what it was. I, I, I would make the case that he had an eye problem. It's just quite possible that when he was knocked off the horse and blinded, when he recovered, he didn't fully recover. But it was something. And the reason I say that is because you'll see in some of his letters, you'll see, look at what I've written with such large letters. And then he'll even say, I signed it with my own hand. So it kind of makes sense that it was an eye, an eye problem. But listen to the, the real gist of this. Verse 8, three times I pleaded. He's praying. 
Three times I prayed for the Lord to take it away. But on the third time, the Lord said, my grace is my grace is sufficient, which means my grace is adequate to make you content in the midst of your problem, not just when the problem goes away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be revealed in human weakness. If, if it indeed was his eyes and he couldn't see well, and everywhere he went, people were trying to kill Paul. Paul would go into a city, he would preach, and they would attack him. They would try to stone him and did multiple times. They beat him with sticks. Can you imagine not being able to see? Listen, I used to wear glasses. I had LASIK surgery. But, but before I had glasses, though, my, my up-close eyesight was so bad, I couldn't see the, the numbers this big on the little clock. Well, it's hard. You can't hold your hand out far enough to be able to read. Are you with me today? But if you can imagine distance is your problem, and you hear somebody coming up the stairs where you're living in a town where people said they're going to kill you, and you're wondering in your heart, are they friend or foe? Is it someone to come and bring me dinner? Or is it someone to come in and take me before the guards? And the little pitter-pat of his heart. And it forces you to say, God, I cannot make it without you. And somehow this man told us, as he stood in his prayer life, Three times he prayed for this one. God, would you heal me? My desire is to be healed. I could be a better Christian minister and life would just be better. But then he found a way before he got to that place. Or actually, he let that go. When he said, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And if in your foreknowledge you know that it's better for me to have some struggles so my pride will not control and destroy me, so the kingdom of God will be enlarged and expanded, then I'll live with that joyfully, and I will rejoice in my suffering, rejoice in my struggles, rejoice in tribulation, rejoice in pressure, not because I like it, but because the kingdom advances further. Paul has been dead now for probably 1,950 years. Can I tell you, the few years of struggle don't matter. The struggles matter for a season now, but in the grand scheme of eternity, they don't matter whatsoever. And here's what I want to say to you. God said no to his prayer, but it was for his good, even though it was painful. And sometimes we just don't know the difference. Now, I asked my staff to come up, the spiritually minded ones, to come up with a, a video, something to display this truth about God knows best. And they found a Garth Brooks song about unanswered prayer and I'll show you just a little bit of it but the context is in the song Garth has a high school sweetheart and he leaves leaves town he marries his wife and he comes back home and sees the girl of his dreams and this is what he writes prayers. <laughs> the gospel according to Garth. 
My wife sent this when I was asking staff for a little input. Here's what she wrote in text message. And she said, sometimes we don't know why prayers aren't answered, particularly when bad things... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading myself there. Let me go back to hers. Linnell said, an unanswered prayer of mine was to go full-time on the mission field after I left YWAM. Here she is. She's 18 years old. She's a cute little Italian girl, long brown hair. And YWAM was youth with a mission. She was raised by, in a pastor's home. She was on the mission field, the poor thing suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. So don't let her make you feel too, too bad about her early missions experience. But anyway, she wanted to go back. And she went home. She said, I went home thinking I would leave uh, California again, but God had different plans for my life. I met you. <laughs> I met you, went on staff at the church, started Bible college, and became a pastor's wife. Sometimes God knows best. And if you've done everything you know to do and you've filled in all the blanks, this last one you're going to have to just trust God. Listen, it's important to persist. There may be spiritual warfare at work. It could be God's timing. If you're convicted of carnality, selfish reasons, if, you know, if, if you're asking amiss or if you're just in rebellion against God, oh, that's fixable. But sometimes things happen that we just don't understand. Nobody's ever been able to adequately explain Acts 12 to me. James, in that one verse, was beheaded. A Christian leader in the church, an elder, an apostle, is beheaded. The next verse, Peter is arrested, and one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament happened. How do you, ex how do you explain that to James's wife and kids? You can't. Even Jesus himself on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes there's not an answer to these things. Why did your daughter go to heaven at 22? Why did your mom and dad are not here for you today? I can't answer why. Sometimes, though, a bigger question, a more important question is why is, what now? How am I going to live my life because of an unanswered prayer? Am I going to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth? Am I going to live a righteous and blameless life simply because I love God? Simply because if my focus was on what didn't happen for my daily bread prayer, I'm in trouble. But if my focus starts out called to fall, my Father which who lives in heaven, a good God in a very evil world, a Father who loves, who cares, who forgives, a Father who has adopted me into his family as his child, if I start there and then I climb and say, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And at this step, you can say, Lord, I don't understand why my baby died, why James was beheaded. But I know you're God and I know you're good. And I know Adam and Eve put us in an evil world. And I know sometimes bad things still happen. So I'm going to say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And then when I pray for daily bread, I'm going to pray, Lord, would you give me strength, Lord, to weather the storm? Would you give me healing in my heart, Lord, for my broken, wounded soul? Would you give me a desire for you more than anything else? That's the secret of unanswered prayer. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. <laughs> Worthy of praise. Well, let's close this way. Why don't you stand to your feet and uh, let me have that last three or four minutes, if you will. As I said, the purpose of this series was to help you develop a meaningful prayer life. I hope every day you pray the Lord's Prayer. If that intrigues you, there's copies, a little half page at both entrances. But it's also to our prayer as a church.
How many know prayer is not just personal? Prayer is an us thing. We pray here Wednesday at 6.30. There's prayer during the week, Wednesday at 12. We pray before every service somewhere people are praying. Uh, if you want to pray during the week sometimes, call the office. We'll leave the sanctuary. We'll pray anytime. Because Jesus said, my house would be called a house of prayer, prayer for all nations. So here's how we're going to close today. last few weeks we've been on our knees and we've been praying for different things. I want you to do this today. I want you to pray with one other person. And I want us today to pray not just for that person, but I want us to pray for people. I want us today to pray for people who are hurting, for people who are in trouble, for people who are consumed by fear, people who've lost their jobs, marriages that are in trouble, people that are contemplating suicide, people that are headed down the wrong pathway of life. We're just going to take just a minute and things that the Holy Spirit brings to our mind we're just going to pray that they have an encounter with the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to do this very simply. Take just one minute. Get with one person or three if you must. But take one minute and each of you pray as the Lord leads you to pray. And then I'm going to ask you, don't run out as soon as that's over. Pastor Michael will have the closing prayer. And, uh, and then we'll go home. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday night. Listen, I would encourage every, every person that has kids in school, uh, every person that knows kids in school you relate to, you need to be here Wednesday night because we're going to talk about Christian influence in our public school system. Uh, it, it'll be right here. But why don't you just turn right now to one person. Stick your hand out. If you know them, call them by name. If not, introduce yourself. And just say, we're going to pray together for just a moment. And we're praying for people that need God's help. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, let's close this way and you bring your attention back up here and just continue to whatever the Lord's put in your heart to pray about. When you leave, just continue to pray about those things. But I want our altar team to go ahead and come to the front and I want you to hear me for a second. Because when we were doing communion, I was at the back of the church and I noticed how the Holy Spirit was just had was touching many, many people in this place. I mean, I saw people crying and wiping the tears because the presence of God was here and some of you are really going through some things. So I want the altar team to come up right now, our prayer team. And you might need to agree with somebody over something. 
There could be a situation that came up, and don't leave here without agreeing. The prayer, uh, when you agree, it's powerful, and miracles happen at this altar. Also, I felt there's some people that you just need to be free from some things. There's some things just really holding you back in your walk with God or life in general. And just come and agree with somebody. Say, hey, I need freedom in this area, whatever it is, a situation. But the last question is, are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? If you're not need to get things right with God, just meet me over at that cross. Because there was two young men earlier that came up to that cross to give their life to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, if you're here, I'm telling you, praise God. If you're here, not sure where you'd spend eternity, it starts by saying a prayer, God, come into my life and change me. And so we'll be at the cross when you get back on track. You've never done a prayer like that. Amen. Pastor Nick, sing through one more time. Altars are open. Come up, agree with somebody, and watch miracles happen.